It's Christmas time, so me and Nick are going to do a two-part on Christmas. Just, just to be traditional, because we love that kind of tradition. We don't tend to speak, we don't make a big thing about Christmas in this church, because the reality of it is that we celebrate the truth of the gift of Jesus every single day of our lives. But I've been reading a, a book, both me and Nick read this book by a guy called Tim Keller called Hidden Christmas, and so um, there were some things in there that we thought might be useful um, not just for you processing for yourselves, but when you have the opportunity to talk about Christmas, these are some of the things that, that you might think about. I've been with my wife for 12 years now, and I've learned a lot about buying Christmas gifts during that period of time. So the first Christmas we had together, I bought her a luggage bag. Surprisingly... It wasn't the winner that I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Partly what set me up in a bad way was growing up with a mother who, if she broke her frying pan in June, would not replace it because it's almost Christmas. And so Christmas was the time to fill all the practical needs that there were. So it made perfect sense to me. Lucy doesn't have a luggage bag. She's going to need to travel. She'll need one. Simple. What I've grown to realise is that for some people, Christmas is about the things that you couldn't justify buying for yourself, those luxuries throughout the time. So I've, I've learned that different people respond in different ways. Now we're down to one income and have children on the way, it's practical all the way through. So she's into cleaning at the moment, so we've got an awful lot of cleaning stuff wrapped up right now. I don't know, has anyone heard of Mrs. Hinch? Yeah, she's an internet sensation. I'm teaching you how to clean. I don't know. Works for some people. So our reckless days are over, and she now has a number of different cleaning tools. So we're going to start off with a quiz. A quizmas challenge, if you will. So um, just to get us into the mood for Christmas now... Because Mark loves Christmas, and he loves quizzes. Let's have, Mark, you're going to be one side. And let's have another core member to challenge him. Who, would you, who do you think? Avril. Okay, come on, Avril. You come, you come this side. We're going to start with myth or biblical. So I'm going to put... A traditional picture on the, the screen for you, so you can both see the other screens, yes? Um, and I want you to think through what is actually not biblical within this picture. And we'll see where we go from there. I'm not quite sure how to run the game, actually. Okay, here we go. You, you, you got a suggestion? Okay. Mark, you got a suggestion? He feels it's pretty down the line. Okay, right. Avril, what would you like to suggest is a myth within this? Okay, so the wise men was, is one of the, the queries, yes? Uh, what, what traditional songs do we have that feature the wise men? Three we three kings. No mention of them being kings. They were wise men. They were magi, which was kind of astrologers of the day. So it's quite interesting that they came to welcome Jesus. Okay, sorry? OCE, 25th of December. Okay, what, what's wrong with that? 
They said it, I've got a clue. <laughs> okay, right. You, you want to have a go on that one? It wasn't December, it was some other time. October. It was most likely early September, the like end of September or early October, because the, that would the, be the last period of time that the shepherds would have been out with their sheep. After that, they bring them inside. Okay. It was most likely picked the 25th to battle with a pagan holiday um, that was going on at the time. And it was more likely to be the 5th or 6th um, year BC that Jesus was born. Um, Herod wasn't born until 4 BC. So um, they didn't, actually, the, the 0 CE doesn't exist. Um, it went from 1 AD to 1 BC. Yes? I've got a wee confession to make. Okay. We had this discussion in the office. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but she's still not getting much right, is she? I just feel a bit bad. Okay. Um, all right, next one. Here you go, Mark. How many were there? Three. Four. How many what? How many what? We don't know. We don't okay. know. There's no mention how many there were. Say. There was a mention of three gifts. Three. It was more than one because it was the plural uh, word for ma magi, magi, I how you ever pronounce it. Okay. Magi. There's one on the scooter, okay. Bibbini Zuta. That's the version I know. And the fact that Jesus was already in a house by the time that they arrived. Um, they came some time afterwards. All right. He, the shepherds were washing their socks, not standing <laughs> Okay, last one. This one's a little bit more controversial. So, highlighting the location. So, the only reason we believe it's a stable is because there was a manger inside. There's no mention of it actually being a stable in the Bible. And in those days, when you brought the animal inside, you would also bring the major in, major manger inside as well. So, it's quite possible that it was within a normal house that he was born. So, there you go. There was no room in the inn. That was fine. Okay, ruined everyone's Christmas. Okay, round two, quick fire round. Okay. Right, you don't get the advantage of having a mic in your hand. No, I think to Okay, number one. Who tells Joseph to go to Bethlehem? You saying the angel? No. No. Caesar Augustus. Had to go there. Had to go there for the census. How did Mary travel to Bethlehem? Over the donkey, not in the Bible doesn't mention. Mary remained a virgin. True or false? She had other children. Okay. So Jesus had a number of half-brothers. Okay, multiple choice rounds. What is myrrh? An embalming, embalming spice. Okay. Yep. The wise men stopped in Jerusalem to... <laughs> Don't just read them, pick one. You know that translation kit we've invested lots of money in? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, 
Why do the wise men stop in Jerusalem? Find out where the baby's going to be born. Okay. When Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, what happened? He was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you got three options there. Okay. B and C on that one. So he wanted to break off the engagement. Um, and the angel came and talked to him, but Mary did go and spend three months with her sister, her cousin, sister. Was it cousin? Cousin. Okay. Okay. Um, when was the concept of Christmas first mentioned? Not found in the Bible. First mention of it was by the Roman Church in 336 A.D. Okay, well done. Very good. Okay, so we like to think of all the nice things about Christmas, the Christmas trees and the presents and all these lovely things, but I think there's actually much... Christmas goes much deeper if, if we let it, and that's going to be our challenge for you over the next couple of weeks is we, we don't want to get lost just in the commercialism of it, on the tradition or the sentiment, sen, sentimentalism of it. We want to let it actually touch us. And it's actually both more threatening and more wondrous than we've probably imagined. And so this week, we're going to look at the threats of Christmas. Now, Christmas presents they can actually have a subtext. They can have hidden meanings when you're given a present. So if you were given a present like this, anyone suggesting what that could actually be saying to you? You're too fussy to buy for. Buy it yourself. Yeah? This one, the bed alarm grill that starts grilling when your alarm goes off. That could be saying something to you if someone buys that. You're lazy and you like fried food too much. Some gifts can be referred to as boomerang gifts. Ones that are bought for you that are intended for the person that bought them for you. So if you ever find that you're bought dreadlock um, ointment or cream or something like that, might be that your brother had another meaning behind it. If you've ever got one like this, a dieting book, <laughs> or deodorant, what does that say to you? It's in a very lovely box, but it's still saying you stink. Some gifts make you swallow your pride, make you think, oh, there's something that's actually quite humbling in this. At Christmas, we celebrate a gift that was given to us. And it's all very cute of Jesus' little baby in the manger. But it's actually got a subtext to it. It's actually saying, you need this because you can't save yourself. That becomes a threatening message if you actually follow through the logic of it. It can be highly offensive to our very nature, the gift of Christmas. Now, imagine you come down 
to your tree on Christmas morning and your relative gives you a beautifully packaged box and you, you open the box and it reveals a iPhone XS Max, is that what? 10 Max. Oh, I'm well with it, and I? Oh, wow! An iPhone, just what I wanted. How did you know? I'm so excited. And I said, oh, I'm so glad you like it. And, and it's all right, I've already set up the, the direct debit mandate for you, and it's going to debit your account £70 every month. <laughs> ah. That gift, that has huge implications for the rest of the year for me. That, that's not quite what I initially thought was being offered. You know the phrase, the, the gift that keeps on giving? Well, we can actually see Christmas as the gift that keeps on taking. Because at Christmas, you lose three things. You lose your crown. You lose your right to name. You lose your cool. So, you lose your crown. You lose your right to be boss. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who is born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. That's very threatening to someone that's sitting on the throne when you have visitors turn up and say, where is the king? I was under the impression I was the king. And here you are asking me where the king is. When it says disturbed, it's a bit of an understatement because we know what King Herod ended up doing. He ordered the slaughter of children under the age of two in a particular town. I've said before, I always want to be blameless. But if I can't be blameless, I at least want to be able to pay my own debt. I want to be able to fix what's wrong with me. Because if I can do all those things, I can remain my own king. That's our nature. We want to be our own king. Christmas is an announcement that the king has arrived. And that's a threat to us that sit on the throne. Now, most of us would probably like to think we would be part of the welcoming party when Jesus came. We, we would be the shepherds, we'd be the wise men, we, we'd be really part of the celebration, but, and not the execution party that Herod, Herod sends out. That may be true, but that's only because God has supernaturally redeemed you. Because our nature is hostile to the idea of someone coming to be king. It says in Romans 3, 10 to tw- uh, verses 10 to 12, as it is rich- written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's the state that we're born into. We're not looking for God. We're actually defending our patch No one seeks God or welcomes him unless their hearts have been supernaturally transformed. So yeah, so it's in our nature to detest God's claim on our lives. And, 
you know, I'd, I'm, I'm not a murderer like Herod, and hopefully no one else here is. You know, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought that I'd go out and kill all these babies and I hope that I'm getting rid of Jesus. But still, I will react with rage and I'll, I'll feel very insecure anytime my rule is questioned. And that's within my nature. Without Jesus coming, that's how I would remain. And you can see it within popular culture. Um, a famous poem, Invictus, by William Ernest Hendley, written in the late 1800s. It says, I am the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And that's quite poetic, but it's actually, it kind of sums up the way a lot of people will want to live their lives. We want to be in control of our decisions. We don't want to have someone telling us what to do or telling us what we can't do. Uh, the famous Frank Sinatra song, My Way, beautiful song. And in part it says, I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. And that's, we want to do it our way. You know, we want to not be told what to do. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, I think there's a few clues that, that might tell us if we still think we have claims to the, the crown. There might be a few things that you might hear yourself saying or thinking. Might be some things like this. I'm not going to allow you to treat me this way. Who are you to do that to me? Oh, I won't accept this. I can't have this. I know best. That's something I, uh, I think a lot. I know best. Um, or let me just get my ducks in a row. Let me get everything sorted. Let me make sure I've got everything under control before I allow this king to, to really take control of my life. Or there might be certain areas of our life where we just don't consider that God would even have an opinion or, or we don't want him to have a, an impact or an in, input into that area of our lives. It might be a work situation or a relationship or a friendship. We might just think, no, that's my thing. That's, that's nothing to do with God. Or maybe life just happens to me, you know? Things just keep happening and, and uh, yeah, I don't know why. These things just seem to keep happening. And part of that is because we're not giving over control. Or, I'm a good person. This shouldn't be happening to me. I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm better than this. I'm better than these things that are, that are happening in my life. Now, that desire to, to be king, it, it's done through a, a worldly sense, but it's also done through a very religious sense. That I'm a good person. I've tried, I, these things shouldn't happen to us. Or shouldn't happen to me. We almost think we can control God by building up our moral credit. And so therefore, we're still on the throne and God is just there to action or to give me back what I deserve. Tim Keller says, uh, uses this line, religious people find God useful, gospel people find him beautiful. And that's still a desire to control God. So if Christmas is true, it means that we've lost control of our lives. I'm going to watch this little video here from a fantastic... Um, piece of artwork in the last uh, hundred years, Miss uh, Congeniality. And you see what happens when uh, we're left with our crown. Don't realize is the crown that we're trying to keep on our head will ultimately kill us. So it's actually good news that we, we lose our crown. Cool, so the second thing um, is about us losing our right to name. And that means that we don't get to name him, but we also don't get to name ourselves. 
So in uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, verse 21, this is uh, an angel talking to Joseph. This is quite soon, just after he's found out that Mary's going to be giving birth to Jesus. It says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So we lose the right to name him. So it says there, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. In Jewish culture, one of the key rights of the father was to name their child. Uh, it was a sign of control. And I would have thought, it being in Joseph's position, it might have been fair enough that he could choose the name. But straight away, we're seeing that, no, you don't get to say who he is. He actually becomes our manager rather than us telling him what he should be like. And that's quite a humbling position that we have to take because many times we can want to maybe, oh, I like this part of uh, what Jesus has to offer, but I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. Let me just... Let me take the bits that I like. And we want to start naming him and saying, yeah, you can be that to me, but I don't want you to be that to me. But actually, it's the complete opposite way around. So we don't get to name him. We don't decide who he is. So I want you to have a think. You may have named him something that he isn't or something uh, less than he is. You know, it's quite nice to think of Jesus as this cute little baby in a manger, you know, that's quite a, a, nice, a nice image. But actually, he's so much, so much more than that. So maybe you might have just seen him as a, an assistant or an advisor or maybe like a, a genie that you sort of just call on in, t in times of need. Or you might have seen him as mean or untrustworthy when he hasn't necessarily done what you would have, what you would have liked him to do. Or he might just, you might have said that he was, he's, he's not real. You know, you might have put these things onto him that he actually isn't. So we lose the right to name Jesus. But we also lose the right to name ourselves. We need him to name us because it's a disaster otherwise. Because um, we don't really know who we are. Does anyone know that saying, or has anyone heard the phrase, to thine own self, to thine own self be true. Yeah? Anyone know where that comes from? Shakespeare, yeah, it comes from Hamlet. So the, the character that says it is uh, Polonius. And you know, Shakespeare, what, what a beautiful wordsmith he was. To thine own self be true. Polonius actually ends up being a fool in the story of Hamlet. But that's the way in which so many people live our lives. Just be true to yourself. But how can we really be true to ourselves when, when we don't really know who we are? Or, you know, I might feel like this one day. I might feel happy one, sad the other. I want to do this one day. That We don't really know who we are. So how can we be true to ourselves? I am who Jesus says I am. Apparently, there's, was it a T-shirt? Was it... <laughs> there's a t-shirt, there's a great t-shirt that says, I am who I am, says I am. And that is, that is a position that we can take. And that is what Jesus come in, that's what it really meant. It means that we don't have to be like the world and, and try and do things and find ourselves and do all these things that actually aren't us. 
but we can look to Jesus to see who we are. And that's a real act of rebellion against our culture. In a culture that says, if you want it, take it, do what makes you feel good. It's very different to be saying, actually, I want to do what, what the Father is doing. So we're rebelling against the, the culture of our society. And we can end up blacklisting ourselves by being like that. We lose our crown, we lose our right to name, and finally, we lose our cool. Luke 2. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Simeon was... Um, there's a guy that worked at the temple and it was, he was told that um, he wouldn't pass away until he got to see Jesus. And so that, that's, that's the message that he brings. The idea of piercing one's soul, it, it, that, that's pretty threatening in itself. I thought Jesus was come to, come to do nice things and to look after us. Well, if you think of the role of a surgeon, their role is to make us better as well, but they actually have to be quite radical to save us. They've got to cut us. And so that's, um, that's what we're seeing in, the, um, in, in this passage, that actually we, this is radical, um, what Jesus is doing for us. In Matthew 10, it further talks about sword. It says, uh, Jesus said, I, I, I bring a sword. And you think I've come to bring peace, I bring a sword. What he's not saying, he's not coming to be violent, but what he's saying is the allegiance that I'm calling you to will cause splits. So our call to follow Jesus, it causes conflict amongst people and within people. And if you think of Jesus' claim that he was taking the crown is so offensive that it caused extreme reactions. Some people were so furious with him they tried to throw him off a cliff to kill him. Some people were terrified that they cried out, depart from me, get away. And others fell down and worshipped him. The same person caused those reactions. It was because of what he was claiming. Now, if we follow him, if we choose to represent him, to represent him, we're going to evoke similar reactions. In the book that we were reading, Tim Keller talks about um, a family that lived in a predominantly white area, a white family, and a black family moved into the neighbourhood, and they were welcoming and got to know them, and they were... They were shunned by the rest of the white community, the white family, for what they did. Because their very simple action of following what God would want exposed, caused the falling of others. He tells another story in the book of a, a police officer who comes to know God and decides no longer he's going to take any bribes. And some other officers in his precincts come to him and said, you're making the other guys very nervous. You have to take the money. 
because all the coppers were doing it and your righteous stance makes us look bad and we don't know if we can trust you because you're not tarred with the same brush as, as us. It makes us uncomfortable. If you identify with him, you will also be offensive. If you think of the way that he was born, born before, that they, um, before they were married, before Joseph and Mary were married, and then the shame and honour culture that they lived in, either they'd had sex before they were married, or Mary had been unfaithful to Joseph. So they were automatically shamed, socially ex- excluded and rejected. They were second-class citizens. And this quote that Tim says, if Jesus Christ comes into your life, you're going to kiss your stellar reputation goodbye. We lose our call when Christmas comes. And so losing your call is about becoming a threat. In the early days of Christianity, so during Roman society, everywhere had their own gods. You had a god for this, a god for that, a god for this time of the year. Every formal dinner would have some tribute to a local god. So to refuse to participate in that aroused suspicion, resentment and anger. And there was a real fear that there would be a divine reprisal for for your lack of celebrating this God, but not just on you, but on all of us. And so it's like, you've got to toe the line for all of our safety. The fact that you won't do it, but not only will you choose not to do it, you're saying that it's a sin to do it, that's, that's really scary for us. The exclusiveness of Christian belief and their conviction that Jesus was not just a God, but the God, put Christians on a collision course with nearly everyone in the religious society. Christians would be disinherited, excluded from government jobs, cut out of business relationships, and sometimes physically abused. And that's what it was like back then. But today, Christians are still seen as a threat because they can't be bought off by the things that everyone else is bought off by. We can't be shaped and moulded by the advertising campaign. We're not in, in the hand of the gods of this age. We don't allow for the smooth, the smooth working of society because we're set for something higher, something different. And we're seen as exclusive because we are exclusive. Because God is the only way. Jesus is the only way. And he had to be given to us in order to repair us. So we become a threat to the society in which we find ourselves. We lose our cool. I was talking to someone um, just this week. They'd, um, they'd been in a, a meeting with a number of different organisations. And they were talking about how do we do this campaign for mental health. And... How, how do we make sure people are able to access this? And um, one of the, the people in the room was saying, well, um, the LGBTQ plus um, community really stru- suffers with mental health and, and, and people that come out as gay and um, transgender, it's really difficult for, for them. And so they, they really need mental health support. And um, my friend was saying... It felt a very awkward situation. You could just feel the tension just growing in, in this room as we're trying to work out what to do. And so they said, you know what? 
In the end, we want to help everyone, so let's not narrow who we're trying to help. And even though there was one activist that was really pushing this, they said after they made this statement, the whole room relaxed because everyone was on edge because there was a God that needed to be recognized and worshipped at that point, the inclusive agenda. And that, that is where we become uncool because we can't get caught up into that kind of stuff. And the idea is, within our culture, if you can present yourself as a victim, it gives you the right to bully everyone else that you can frame as the oppressor. Nick's got some more stories about losing your call. You could go on forever, couldn't yeah. you? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was having to think about times just recent and not so recent. So there was one occasion I made music and uh, I was making a song. It was actually a remix to a song. I don't know if anyone knows what a remix is, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I was making a song. And um, I'd got this, uh, this, this female rapper to feature on the song. She's a lot more, and remains to be, a lot more popular than me. And, <laughs> um, so we had, I didn't really know her. I'd never met her before, but it was like it had been set up by my record label. So we had this studio session. And she was cool. She like turned up with all her mates. And... Um, so she's writing her verse, I'm just sort of letting her do her thing. And then she comes to recording it, and she records this verse over my song. And it's like really sexual. And like, I was just in my head, I was thinking, I can't have this. But I felt really awkward, because as sexual as it was, it, was, it would be somewhat normal. You know, it wasn't like, it's rap music, isn't it? It's kind of like, it was just, it was, it was whatever. But I realized I've got to say something. So I, 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 did, I didn't really do it very well, but I kind of said, yeah, I'm sorry, but I'm going to need you to change. And she looked at me like I was a real weirdo. And, <laughs> and I felt like I was a real weirdo as well. And she changed it, but like ever since then, I think she thinks that I'm very strange. And uh, I didn't deal with the situation particularly well, but at that point, I felt like, oh, I would have just, I just wanted the ground to swallow me up. I just like, I don't want to say anything. In my head, I'm saying, it's not that big a deal. You know, it's, uh, it's whatever. But I realized, actually, I can't stand for this. This is, uh, I have to be different. And that came at a cost. Like I say, she's a lot more popular than me. So I can't imagine what she's told anyone. Hey, that Nick Brewer, is a, he's a bit of a weirdo. But it was something that I felt I had to do. There's been times where I've actually just decided not to do that. And I can think of a time a lot more recently. I was on tour about a month ago. And um, I was in Bristol, and we were due to be going to Amsterdam in a few days. So I was supporting another artist, and there was another support act as well. So it was these guys from um, Bradford. They were really cool. We were getting on with them really well. So it's me. When I travel, uh, it's me and my DJ, Fred, who's also one of my best friends, who is also a Christian, which helps. So anyway, I was chatting with these, these guys from Bradford that another support act, and it was due to be Fred's birthday, my DJ's birthday, while we were in Amsterdam. And I don't know if anyone's been to Amsterdam, but Amsterdam has certain kind of uh, perks for certain types of people. So they're going, oh, yes, it's Fred's birthday. We're in Amsterdam. We're going to get him super drunk. Oh, why don't we get him a prostitute? And um, I was there just like... <laughs> <laughs> And, like, I didn't say anything because in my head I'm like, well, Fred wouldn't have been up for that. I'll just, I'll just make that clear while he's not here to defend himself. But I kind of felt like I should say something because 
that's not me, and that's not Fred. But then I was like, nah, it's too embarrassing. So I just didn't. And I just kind of like, I didn't agree, but I didn't actually decide to be like, well, to make an awkward situation because I thought I'm going to embarrass myself and I thought it will probably embarrass them as well. But really, that would just embarrass me further. So really, it was about me. And just to be clear, we went to Amsterdam and nothing happened, right? <laughs> but I realized at that point, I didn't want to lose my call. I wanted to keep my... Um, I just didn't want to feel awkward. And I actually think I could, if I had, who knows what would have happened. Maybe I would have just made a fool out of myself. Or maybe we could have had a very interesting conversation. But I'm realizing that actually I don't want to just do what I want to do. Part of giving up my crown is saying, actually, I'm going to stand for something different. Um, the final example, I remember when I was at school, a big, a big thing for me in terms of my friends was the fact that I wasn't going to have sex until I was married. And it wasn't, you know, at, the age, like, at my age, it wasn't really that I wanted to have sex. It was more that I just didn't want to be embarrassed. And it was something that caused me quite a lot of embarrassment amongst my friends. And I realized, again, I just didn't want to stick out. I didn't want to be the different one or one that standed, stood for different things because... I just didn't want to embarrass myself. But part of what we're saying is we give up that right. We stand for something different. So just to conclude, Christmas is a, a threat to our desire to be king, to kind of to be self-governing, um, to be able to determine who we are, to determine who Jesus is, and also just to be popular. Um, so as you've been listening, God might have been prompting you with memories or, or thoughts of where you can welcome him into your life. So there's a few things that we thought that this might involve. So it could be from repenting from naming him the wrong, wrong thing or being, being your own boss and naming yourself. Maybe that's something that you've realized I've done. Actually, I've said Jesus is this and I'm this when actually that's, that's not how it is. Um, it could be, yeah, from naming yourself something different. Or it could just be making a commitment to lose your call, if need be. So they'd be the things that we'd be asking you guys to think about. Thank you.